Welcome to Voice of Care. Coming up in this episode, I'm speaking to Pauline Shepherd, Chief Executive Officer at the Independent Health and Care Providers in Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland is undergoing a tremendous amount of reform in social care, and we'll be discussing the role of the independent sector amidst a workforce crisis that needs urgent attention. We don't have enough people to actually provide the care for that rising number of older people. So we need to think about more innovative ways of providing care or indeed early interventions that prevent people uh, presenting in hospitals. So we, we need to so- fix the social care because basically it's the foundation of the health system. Let's be honest, I mean, the high percentage that's being provided by the independent sector, it's only been provided by the independent sector because... It's cheaper to do it than it is in the statutory sector. So there has to be some consideration of let's be fair, let's be open and let's be honest about that. Um, We need to find different ways of actually meeting the high unmet need in Northern Ireland in terms of social care. And we need to start thinking a bit more innovatively. Hello, I'm Sahel Mirza and welcome to this episode in Season 2 of Voices of Care. I'm joined today by Pauline Shepherd, CEO at Independent Health and Care Providers in Northern Ireland. The Voices of Care podcast seeks to get to the heart of the issues facing the health and social care sector and how we can enable the healthcare workforce of the future. In this episode, I'll be discussing the reform of social care in Northern Ireland and the crucial role the independent sector is set to play. And who better to talk to me about that than Pauline? Thank you very much for uh, coming over and seeing us and uh, welcome to Voices of Care. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Suhail. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's our privilege. Now, it's a transformative time for adult social care. The Department of Health is, uh, has completed its consultation and reported. But before we go into some of the findings and recommendations, perhaps you'd be kind enough that you've been nearly 10 years at the <laughs> at uh, the independent health and care providers perhaps share a little bit more about what the role of the organisation is yeah we're a very small organisation independent health and care providers we represent um, the independent sector um, of all providers that provide um, care in care homes uh, home care or what's commonly called domiciliary care and daycare services in Northern Ireland and our members come from uh, private sector, uh, not-for-profit, um, church-affiliated, um, and uh, you know other members provided. They're not statutory providers. They're welcome to be our members. And it's your part of and play a very important role uh, UK-wide, I think, in terms of uh, the agenda around uh, social care. You have associations with the Home Care uh, Association and, of course, the uh, Five Nations Care Forum. Yeah, we're part of the Five Nations Care Forum. So together, um, we basically, we, we lobby on behalf of the whole sector across the UK and Ireland. And um, we try to encourage um, the appropriate funding. We look at um, strategic issues. Um, we, we all have similar issues like recruitment retention difficulties. So we try to influence, learn, learn from each other. Um, and actually try to influence and lobby for change within the social care sector. And that lobbying for change perhaps uh, has never been more uh, important. Now, Northern Ireland's had a number of interventions uh, over the last decade looking at the sector. Uh, You yourself have gone on record as saying it was in deep crisis uh, back in 2019. The People to Power report was published in 2017, uh, highlighting the fact that the sector needed urgent reform and attention. Can you paint the picture uh, about us, about about the sector please, for us? Because we have seen in England, Scotland and Wales a similar theme. Northern Ireland It's around the population changes that are taking place with the over 65s and over 85s growing quite rapidly and a drop in the number of people of working age. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a complex, it's like any of the, the nations that are involved in this, it's a complex area. And really, um, there's been lots of reports, there's been many reports over the period of time that I've been in, in the job that I'm in at the minute. Um, but basically, we all know what's wrong, we all know how to fix it, but there isn't the funding and probably the investment that's needed to actually fix it. And social care has come sort of second um, in, in line whenever there's funding available. Um, so COVID has brought the social care sector to the fore because social care, in particular care homes, have been were badly impacted and remain um, impacted by COVID and probably will remain, um, you know, working in a different way than they were post-COVID. Um, so really, you know, the demographics in Northern Ireland are a significant contributor to the reforms that are needed. Um, there's about 2 million population in Northern Ireland, and the estimate is that by 2040, the requirement for um, social care um, packages and social care interventions will increase by about 80%. And we don't have the um, profile of young people coming through. So we don't have the workforce. We don't have enough people to actually provide the care for that rising number of older people. So we need to think about more innovative ways of providing care or indeed early interventions that prevent people uh, presenting in hospitals. So we, we need to fix the social care because basically it's the foundation of the health system. And you say it's sometimes uh, the poor cousin when it comes to funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, in comparison to health, yes. for example. And I know that uh, the former health minister, Robin Swan, said social care is every bit as important mm-hmm. as health. But we're not seeing that in terms of the large number of vacancies uh, in social care, which also has an effect, I think, uh, on the pay levels, of course, within the sector. Yeah, I mean, there's no central location that actually collates the vacancy levels within the social care sector. Mm. Um, And within the independent sector, I rely on members advising me of, you know, problems with vacancies, problems with um, having to recruit high numbers of agency staff that cost somewhere between two and three times the the normal hourly rate. But um, obviously, it it varies. cities and um, larger towns in Northern Ireland um, would have more of a problem to try and recruit and retain people because where you have other you know, large retail um, you know, businesses or large hospitality, they will poach the staff from the sector. Rural areas maybe don't have as big a problem um, because um, there maybe isn't the same, uh, there's a different catchment area and there are more people available um, who want to work in a, in a care environment. So locality has something to do with it. But some of our members are reporting very high turnover of staff, particularly in home care or domiciliary care, where um, people will join Um, an organisation, but maybe after two or three months they realise how challenging the job is. So there's a high turnover around the three-month period of of employment. And that's quite important because much of the debate around Northern Ireland and indeed across the UK of social care focuses on the cost Mm -hmm. of providing these services which are commissioned and contracted. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to step back a little bit because you have an eye through your members at the bigger picture, not just the independent sector, the whole of the sector. Um, It's a source of um, important contribution to the economy, Mm -hmm. employing large numbers of people. And I think one of the goals that you have uh, in the organisation is to promote social care as a sector 
put people to work in? Yes, I mean, there's 480 care homes in Northern Ireland, um, and of those 480 care homes, 16,000 beds, 15,000 of them are in the independent sector. In the home care side, um, there's uh, 240,000 people every week looked after in, in their own homes, wow. and 72% of that's home care. So it's a massive employer. We're talking around maybe over 40,000 people in Northern Ireland empl- employed in the sector. So, you know, we do need to try to attract um, and, re- and retain people. So we need to actually look at it's not only about increasing their wages because increased wages will won't completely motivate people we need to look at um, reducing the pressure we need to look at um, the number of 15 minute visits that there are in Northern Ireland is significantly higher than across the UK and that that's burnout mm. we, need, we also need, need to look at the, the trauma of um, people working in the sector through COVID, there's been a lot of p- people have been traumatised and they need help, they need support. But one of the issues is that we need to look at maybe more innovative ways of recruiting um, young people, encouraging them at school, colleges, that it's a good career to go into. But maybe looking wider at that than that, looking at people maybe that have retired would be happy to do you know a few hours a week. So look at you know different pools to, to actually recruit people from. And also there's an element which we um, have touched upon in other podcasts around the importance of international recruitment. Mm-hmm. Now that does offer tremendous support, but it's not a panacea. And also it depends on the sector, does it not? It depends on the sector. I mean, there's lots of international recruitment going on. We have increased the number of um, recruits from from other countries. Um, it, and it, it seems to have worked okay in the care home side. Home care is having a bit more difficulty because obviously we need to have driving. We need to have the driving licences. We need to have people more mobile. And that seems to be a bit of a barrier that we can get you know, social care workers uh, and nurses but on the home care side, there is more of a challenge. Um, but again, that will be partly, it's not about pay only, but it's also about the proper funding. So I think the mm-hmm. Power to People report um, 2017 did invite and actually exhort policymakers so that we need to be, I think the quote was, we need to be honest about the true cost of care. Mm-hmm. Um, are politicians being honest enough about that true cost? Uh, ICP, we've been lobbying for... Well, many years, probably 10 years now, to actually say we need to identify what the true cost of care is. And I know there's been work done in England on that, mm. um, but we need to identify it because we continually, um, you know, so I suppose, um, have this discussion with the department where they're saying, well, there's lots of investment in the sector. Um, obviously, you're doing very well. Um, and in my view, there's a wee bit of a, I suppose, of an elephant in the room there <laughs> where we need to actually identify, well, how much does it cost? Mm. And is it fair to be saying that, you know, people are investing and therefore there's money to be made? And in Northern Ireland, we've gone as far as actually saying, well, let's look at the cost of care, but let's look at, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about profit, let's look at putting a market regulator in place. And going as far as that to actually say, well, what is an appropriate profit here? Um, because let's be honest, I mean, the high percentage that's been provided by the independent sector, it's only been provided by the independent sector because it's cheaper to do it than it is in the statutory sector. So there has to be some consideration of let's be fair, let's be open and let's be honest about that. So the true cost of care, I mean, is a very important factor in trying to, um, I suppose, get the evidence of what investment's needed. And we also need to look at... um, the, 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 it's not just the cost of care, it's the contribution mm. of that care to Northern Ireland's economy. 
And when you look at even the likes of unpaid carers, there's an awful lot of unpaid carers. And it is a low cost that they're paying to home care and care homes. And if that wasn't there, that would be costing the health service considerable amounts of money. So there isn't the the comparison of, if we didn't have these um, services, what would the real cost be to society? A a lot of work to be done then. I think uh, uh, Des Kelly, John Kennedy, in their report, Power to People, did quote research back then uh, from the University of Ulster saying that the gross value add economic Mm -hmm. contribution of social care was in excess of £300 million. Mm -hmm probably greater now. Um, I want to turn to the actual workforce and in terms of how you're currently doing and what you're seeing as good practices because um, the work around leadership is really important. The Department mm-hmm. of Health's consultation, Power to People, um, one of its key recommendations around a valued workforce centred on the idea that the single biggest factor of quality of care and outcomes is the quality of the management. Mm-hmm. And I think you're playing quite a big part in mm-hmm. promoting leadership and finding a means, I think, in collaboration with Ulster University, mm-hmm. of facilitating their leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, ISCP, we've done quite a lot in the last you know, 10 years or so in terms of we, we joined forces with the Ulster University and AGNI, and we funded um, the first um, cohorts of um, care home managers in Northern Ireland to go through the My Home Life programme. My Home Life programme, as you probably know, is an international leadership programme. and We funded that at the start. We funded the first few years of cohorts. Um, We work in partnership with the Ulster University and so far now that's been running for the last nine years or so and we've had about 12 cohorts of um, staff through that and we've made a lot of progress in the last few years in influencing the department to join with us um, in the My Home Life and in the last year the department have funded going forward I think it's about four or five cohorts now um, and they're seeing the benefits of that. It's giving care home managers a lot more confidence Um, it's giving them the the network of of, um, communication with other care home managers that they can share and they can learn from they can develop best practice it has been a really worthwhile program um other things that we'll be doing um We've been working with the Northern Ireland Social Care Council, mm. uh, working in collaboration with them. They've been really good about um, doing videos with um, our member staff to um, encourage, attract people into the, the sector, demonstrate how good the social care sector is. So we've been working with them as well. Um, so there's lots of, of good practice going on there. And we've also been working with the um, department more recently. We've influenced them to um, uh, implement the... Uh, Social Care Collaborative Forum. So there's lots of good activity going on there. And I suppose the final thing, um, we're about to launch in November. At CP, we've developed an, an employer charter where um, we're going to ask our members to volunteer to sign up. It's a good practice, it's best practice, um, basically outlining how it you know, the, the issues about being a good employer, employment law, grievance procedures, good recruitment, good support, uh, health and well-being, all of those elements within that. And we're going to launch that from uh, Stormont uh, on the 22nd of November. No, that's a, a, an array of work. And as mm-hmm. you say, tied back to good leadership in care homes in mm-hmm. particular, hopefully will drive better outcomes. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you say, promote promote the sector. One of the things you've talked about, of course, we'll come back to in looking at the future um, and the forum that Mm -hmm. you mentioned. Um, But before that, obviously, the need uh, to grow the workforce is there, but also to retain the workforce that is there, pay and conditions and career pathways are there, of Mm -hmm. course. A couple of other factors, and that's inclusion and wellness. You've you've touched Mm -hmm. upon wellness, but going to inclusion, the 
demography of Northern Ireland is changing. In 2001 to 2021, census uh, quadrupling of people mm-hmm. from ethnic minorities. So perhaps you can speak a little bit around how that's going to impact uh, your members and the sector as a whole, because, of course, the workforce has to represent that changing uh, demography. Mm-hmm. And not only representing that in terms of the, the workforce, representing it in terms of the clients and the you know the service users that we deal with, mm-hmm. and actually you know encouraging people to, to learn about cultural differences, to, to learn about you know ethnic um, differences. So, yes, there's programmes in relation to, to, to that work as well. Um, we need to um, recruit a lot more from um, ethnic community um, and that's part of our employer charter to look at um, recruiting on the basis of um, in this in social care it's not about you know learn your skills it's not about um, you know your educational um, qualifications it's about your personality it's about your how empathetic you are it's about your per, you know how you relate to other people so there's a lot of it based on um, a person's uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but a person's uh, competences and relating to other people, their interpersonal skills. So that is where the baseline, mm-hmm. um, and that's where everybody should be rec- recruited fo- from. You can be trained up uh, to deal with the various elements of caring, mm-hmm. um, and that should be, you know, we should be recruiting from anywhere within Northern Ireland and outside Northern Ireland where we can get those skills and, and attributes from. It's a. It's people need to sometimes sit back and think. There's a lot of co- growing complexity mm-hmm. required from care workers, uh, but it remains uh, a quintessentially human mm-hmm. and quite intimate endeavour. What, what mm-hmm. you're referring to mm-hmm. on on the wellness side, you you've talked about some of the support that has happened now. Ulster University has been continuing a study since COVID, looking at the effects on wellness of the whole workforce in its latest report earlier this year uh, talked about the fact that 50% of health and social care workers have reported a, a fall in their workforce well-being 40% uh, of those are thinking about changing mm-hmm. careers and if there were three things employers could do one of them 41% said would improve well-being provision mm-hmm. can we talk around that because mm-hmm. where people keep talking about the post-covid period but there's it feels as if it's very much within the DNA of the workforce and society. Yeah, that's interesting, Sahil, because, I mean, one of the issues we do in HCP is we, we run webinars for our members, but we go out and actually ask them, what are the issues that you would like to see? What are the topics within webinars? Mm. And when we went out about six months ago, the, the biggest and you know the, the greatest number of um, requests came about resilience, mm. and we thought, well, that's really interesting. That you know, resilience is one of the things, and that was coming from you know through the COVID, that people felt weary, they felt tired, they didn't know how they were going to cope. Um, so we've run webinars, and we're we're you know looking at how can we maybe develop some programs around resilience. So we've done that, but. Also, um, within the employer charter, we're encouraging our our members to sign up to health and wellbeing, uh, health insurance, employee assistance programs, and many of them already have that. Um, to to you know make sure that there's counselling support for staff when they feel under pressure, they can go somewhere either within the organisation or outside the organisation 
During COVID, we had a really good relationship with the Department of Health and the health trusts and their psychology services provided direct input um, psychology support to care homes that were facing um, you know, multiple um, deaths from COVID um, and that whole trauma around that. So we've had really good support from the from the Department of Health, but we now need to make sure that that's embedded and that you know that can follow through because, as I've mentioned earlier, we're not through COVID yet, and we can see already in the in the last few days increasing numbers of uh, a variant. So we're not through all of this, um, but we need to provide the support, rebuild that workforce, um, reward them, recognise them, and make them feel valued and supported. And I think that work will continue in terms of the collaboration you've talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to have the final uh, section today to look ahead. Um, Hopefully, um, all of you, I'm sure, will be hoping there will be some tangible results coming out of all the consultations and the summary report that uh, the Department of Health published in June uh, this year. Can you elaborate on some of the work in terms of that you see in the Social Care Collaborative Forum? Because there are a number of uh, work streams that flow from that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to highlight technology and innovation because that's going to be vital mm-hmm. if you're going to deal with a demographic challenge that you've talked about Mm -hmm. the social care collaborative forum um, has been running now for a few months and there's Mm -hmm. lots of work streams from it as you say Uh, the first one probably is the biggest priority in terms of trying to fix home care services um, and in particular about hospital discharge pathways but there's a number of strands and the one you've mentioned there is the technology innovation and um, we need to find different ways of actually meeting there's a high unmet need in Northern Ireland in terms of social care and we need to start thinking a bit more innovatively Um, the likes of when you ask why is there so many 15 minute visits in Northern Ireland and you dig below that is it because somebody's just getting a call for medicines administration Um, is that all they need Um, could that be done by a a medicines dispenser with proper controls around it pharmacy are are able to do that Mm. but they're high cost but the high cost is needed up front for a longer term investment. So there, there's invest to save issues that we could do. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't mean about taking away home care, that you know the human interface is, is very important. But I do think that we need to start looking at the older people in society and how we can keep them healthier. Because people turn up at hospitals who maybe have had... You know, self-administered the wrong medication. They turn up because they're maybe dehydrated or haven't had the proper, you know, um, nutrition. So there's lots of things that we could be doing early intervention to prevent people actually presenting at hospitals. Um, and in my view, home care services—they're the eyes and the ears um, out in the community. Likewise, GPs. So we we should be re- using that resource more to actually identify. Are there people out there who haven't yet come on the radar, mm. but we could maybe keep them and help them more healthy um, and therefore reduce the need for the increasing number of you know later interventions? And that would, of course, require um, better use of data, mm-hmm. more visibility of data mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and technological innovation uh, you've talked about. Um, the, the key to all of it, I think, the, the golden thread running through what you've said uh, goes back to, the, I think, two of the priorities that struck me from the Department of Health and, and the report uh, Power to People, which is the importance of the primacy of home, mm-hmm. which you've discussed. But that's got to be built around a valued workforce. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we should perhaps end on that mm-hmm. subject because you've talked a lot about the vital role it plays uh, and how we can do more to promote it as a career mm-hmm. uh, over the coming years. 
are you seeing that begin to happen at schools and the wider community? It's at early stages and we have been looking at it for some time. It's about trying to, I suppose, mobilise that. Where do we start? Um, and, you know, starting at schools, that's going to be a long time before we actually see any benefit. Mm. And as I mentioned, it might be better to start looking at other pools of people where we could, you know, call people in. Um, so we need to start maybe thinking about things like that, as well as the the technology, the innovation. Um, and it's, it's probably... Uh, an issue that needs to have lots of different um, ways of getting into it. Mm. And there's lots of actions around it that maybe would get it in the right direction. But we really do need to, first thing, pay people appropriately. And we need to get that we are not in competition with retail and um, hospitality because the jobs and social care should be paid at a higher rate than that. So we need to get off that market level. And then we need to encourage people to say, you've got a job here, but you also have a career and show a pathway through. And at the same time, the, I guess the other side of that equation that you referred to, get the data to understand the true cost of care, because I think one of the key work streams from the forum is also around contract and commissioning. Yes. Um, have the data so that the contract and commissioning is at such a level that can facilitate this growth that Northern Ireland needs over the next 25 mm-hmm. years. And that's exactly right. I mean, the contracts for particularly in care homes in Northern Ireland were last reviewed in 2014. So, I mean, the contract no longer sits the, you know, meets um, the, the, the care, uh, the regulations and the standards that are in place that care homes are measured against no longer really relate or reflect the care that's provided. And going forward, we need to have a method of actually identifying, well, what are the, the care needs? What are the dependency levels? Um, how do we provide care to meet those? Uh, what's the cost of delivering that? What workforce do we need and how are we going to pay that workforce and how are we going to actually, you know, have that uh, social care system in place going forward? Because we are facing a particular difficulty in Northern Ireland with the ageing population. Looks like uh, you'll have uh, plenty on your plate to do over the next few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, On that note, Pauline Shepherd, thank you so much for your time and uh, your wisdom. Thank you very much, Suhail. Thank you. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of Voices of Care, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about how we are enabling the healthcare workforce of the future, please visit newcrosshealthcare.com forward slash Voices of Care. In the meantime, I'm Sahel Mirza. Thank you very much and look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Voices of Care is published by Newcross Healthcare. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.